I'm Yasi Salik, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musok Konga. I'm Ryan Hearn. Ryan, how are you doing? Not going to lie, a bit better, but I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I have been zipping around the country, uh, reading <laughs> to my first ever event, completely in German literature event. I was going to say, is it not weird for you to speak Alf English? <laughs> it's, can I be honest with you? Um, that is the most terrifying public appearance I've given, I think, ever. Is it? Yeah. I'm not surprised, man. It's terrifying. I was going to launch into it and be like, you know, customer knock English. It was terrifying, right? No, honestly. That's what Alice forgets. I just sat there on the stage and like, you know, when you're speaking in another language, the, there's the number one rule is don't translate it into English and then back into German. Yeah. Just let it sort of, let it flow through you. But it was funny. I mean, it was, it was over in Frankfurt at the Literature House. Shout out to them. Shout out to Gaze Schneider um, and Benno who got me over there. Uh, amazing people. Great city, Frankfurt. Just a great vibe. I'd, every time I go there, I'm like, oh, I want to spend more time here. Um, but yeah, it was a great joy. So, and then I'm in Leipzig tonight and then Hamburg again okay. the weekend. I know. Jet Look setting. Well, this guy. train setting, not plane setting. Um, okay, now, big in Germany like Helena Fischer. <laughs> 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 one for the, one for the dark heads. One for the heads. <laughs> um, well, I'm in Amsterdam. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's where you're at the moment. Of course. I am. I'm going to Ajax Union tonight. That- Wow. I'm very excited about. Rightly so. It's the best competition in the world. <laughs> Why did we not do that at the top of the show? I can't believe we're slipping. We're slipping, man. We are, we are. It's because there's, there's been two and a half years between the group stages and the knockout <laughs> yeah. stages of European competitions. <laughs> it's wild that the Champions League is back this week as well. It just kind of like, just randomly came back. No. And it kind of came back with a bit of a meh. Mm. It was just like, the champions in inverted commas as opposed to the champions. Actually, I think I heard that in the, in the anthem. The, na, 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 na. the champions. champions? <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of like moments that were spectacular. There were oh a couple. yeah, we're going to talk about We them. will get into this, yeah. But yeah, let's do some admin quick. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, wherever you are in the world. Uh, right, it's house. Friday will be Flo and Mioa. You and I will be joining in next week. And we're going to talk golf. Looking How about for, that? Right, it's clubhouse. Looking forward to it. Love that. So uh, if anyone was into Drive to Survive, there's a new Netflix one called Full Swing, which is about last year's PGA Tour. So go watch all of that. And then me, Ian and Musa will talk about it on Tuesday's Right, it's house. Any other admin? TheRinger.com? Obviously. And uh, Stadio Archers plays on Spotify. All the music we play on each episode. Newest one is at the top. Search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. So today, 
We're going to talk about Arsenal versus Manchester City. We're going to very, very quickly round up some of the Champions League stuff. And we're going to talk about the UEFA report into what happened for the Champions League final. Mm. Which Headline, total vindication for Liverpool fans. Total, total vindication. Oh, shout out to all the activists. Shout out to all the Liverpool fans who just went and did all that yeah. organising um, together, collaborating, communicating and forming communities so quickly in the aftermath. Yeah. And also, fair play to a lot of journalists who kept the heat on. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Shout out to Daniel Austin and David Conn for doing great work on that in relation to the aftermath of the Champions League final, the fallout and UEFA's mismanagement of the event. Spectacular management. Yeah. So really impressive work. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, let's get into Arsenal Man City after this. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. All right, man, Arsenal 1, Manchester City 3. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, first of all, because obviously you have no horse in this race. Uh, I, the only horse or, I have in the race do, is... Actually, well, I want to just your keep... Horse is, uh, your horse is playing the... Um, it's not even about that. No, it's about it's football. Dawson's Law. No, it's, it's about football. You know what it is? As Doom said, it's not about me. It's about the beats. Look. <laughs> <laughs> the reason this game was frustrating in relation to the title race is that I think everything major that could have gone wrong for Arsenal went wrong. Mm. Um, so if you're going to lo- lose a, a game that's crucial in, in relation to the title, and there's still a lot of football to be played, but there's a psychological blow that's been dealt here. There's things you want to, on a checklist, you're like, okay, look, if they're going to score, let's make them score. Let's not give them goals. Um, and if we get chances, let's score our chances. And I know that sounds like really reductive, but I think that's kind of it. Like the, the types of mistakes made in this game, the mistake made by Tommy Asu is a, is a mistake that he makes like once every 50 matches. This is the thing. He's not an error prone defender. Um, no, not massively. Do you know what I mean? And even you know, some of the stuff like Chaka defensively, Chaka has improved so much over the years that he makes some mistakes in possession where you're like, oh, like that is not a common Chaka thing. Mm. And then you see the form Nketiah has been on and you're like, oh, that is not the Nketiah who has surged to the forefront. Like the, the, a night like last night should be Nketiah's crowning glory. And the problem is when you, you allow City to score a third goal like they scored, which is a beautiful goal, and then you're letting them leave going, we have mastery, both technical and tactical. So that actually, Arsenal gave City the three worst presents they could have given them. Mm. The failure to kill them off, the failure to be solid against them, and the failure to play the football, like the failure to make a, dem- a footballing demonstration, if that makes sense. Um, and because actually there wasn't much else other than those things. That was between, yeah, there wasn't much else between them, I think. No, I mean, I, th- I thought Arsenal actually did fine apart from those errors yes um, yeah absolutely the possession stats were like unreal yeah what was it lowest in the league game for a team managed by Pep Guardiola in his top flight managerial career the way Arsenal were moving the ball in that first half in particular I think a lot of it though was also a little bit if you if you look into the, the statistical breakdown of the game it's quite interesting because a lot of that possession that Arsenal had was in their own half mm. building up from the back deep in midfield Mm. And that's where the errors came from, actually. Mm. The statistical breakdowns look pretty good for Arsenal. The things that they were just behind on, on Man City were, were kind of like the running X, the rolling XG. And I think a lot of that, that's really interesting because if you came away from that thinking Eddie and Katia should have had a hat-trick, you probably wouldn't be wrong. Yeah, yeah. But actually, one of those was, was one that he failed to get on the end of. So it doesn't really convert in a statistical sense. I think that it's that Zinchenko cross, isn't it? That's the one, that header. Do you know what it is? Because I think when you take, yeah. when you take the lead, the way that Arsenal were playing and the way they were opening them up and what, what I loved about Arsenal's play in the early stages, the directness, the switches, like every pass was the right pass. You know, every mm-hmm. pass is the right pass. 
They take the lead halfway into the first half and then you give City something to chase. Well, this is an interesting point, actually, because I feel like early on in the season, there was a really common thing about Arsenal taking the lead early in games and it just mm. brought teams out a little bit and gave yeah. Arsenal way more space. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been ideal in this game. Right. Especially um, with Mark Nelly think, setting the tone like that. Like, my God. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the goal, the Kevin De Bruyne goal was such a good finish. Yes. Um, and so composed. And I think this game was a little bit of a reminder of just how good Kevin De Bruyne can be mm. because... I feel like he was probably the integral player in 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 the Man City side. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Grealish and Holland will get will get headlines because of the goals, and they were both good goals. But um, I think De Bruyne was was just amazing. Mm. Just one thing about Kevin De Bruyne when he came off, and a load of people were throwing shit at him. Dickhead behaviour. It's not the one. I thought he dealt with it really, really well because he just looked at everyone. And he was just like rattled. You're all rattled. <laughs> but um, please don't throw shit at footballers. Yeah. Like, it's just stupid. Throw, throw affection. Throw, throw constructive criticism. But don't throw shit at footballers, please. Yeah. Yeah. That's a clown show. You're not clowns. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a funny game, this one, because I, I, I was quite frustrated watching it. Um, I felt like Arsenal just... I wouldn't say... Put it this way, I feel like you could tell which of the two teams had been the one that had won a load of titles in the last few years. Mm, yes, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Because they're used to being they're used to being in this position and they're used to having to kind of like switch on. And Arsenal I feel just looked a little bit a little bit nervy. Yes. In moments. Yes. Um but in other moments they were they were they were really, really good. I feel like Saka on Bernardo was a really good matchup and I feel like Bernardo was a little bit lucky not to get booked earlier than he was. Mm. Um, but they had so much joy down that right-hand side and Pep, uh, after the game, was, was saying that his, he got his tactics horribly, like all his tactics were horrible or something like that. And when he made that switch in the second half, I think that worked for Man City a lot better um, and it kind of just alleviated that threat down the right-hand side from Arsenal. I think that's absolutely right. And- the thing about, um, the frustrating thing about Arsenal, and maybe this is just the eye test, I felt like the first half, every pass was timed perfectly, every decision. It was like, you know, watching the San Antonio Spurs under Popovich in like 2014, where they always made the extra pass and every pass was the right pass. And in the second half, it's almost like Arsenal remembered the altitude they were at and the stakes. And then all of a sudden, the right pass wasn't being made anymore. There was one crucial moment, um, Chaka gets the ball and I think he hesitates and delays and shoots instead of just playing it to the left, like just moving it down the line. And the funny thing is in the first half, I almost feel that's a pass that Chaka makes because in the first half, Arsenal played in the flow and the rhythm. And this is, this is the importance of taking the lead, right? In a game like that, you take the lead, the crowd is behind you, City are chasing it. They're not as quick as you, the gaps open up and then you might get a second. But the moment they go a goal down, even though they got that great equaliser, shout out to Saka with the incredibly cool penalty, um, just cold-blooded. Like the moment Arsenal were chasing, there was there was always this anxiety. Even in the second half, you know, City scored slightly. I wouldn't say against the run of play, but they scored when the game was in the balance, mm-hmm. um, and there was always that slight fear that if Arsenal didn't do something decisive, City were going to take it, and that is where the title winning experience comes in where City were like we've, we've got these lot like we've got them like at 2-1 I, I was like when, when 2-1 happened I thought if there's, a, if there's a third if there's another goal coming it's not coming for Arsenal yeah I, 100% as soon as that second one went in I was just like that's it yeah Arsenal needed to have to execute everything yes perfectly mm. and if they didn't City've just got too much to throw at you like you see I, I think Eddie Nketiah has done unbelievably well, for example, since since um, Gabriel Jesus got into he has, the World Cup. He has, yeah. He's done amazingly well, but I feel like games like this are where you see the struggles of having quite a, a thin squad in terms of numbers yeah. in certain positions. Like I think Arsenal have got quite a, a, a good, have got a really good squad and they made some good acquisitions in January and they've got some very talented players. But for example... You take off Holland, you've got Julian Alvarez. Just won a World Cup, yeah. And then if yeah. both of those guys get injured, you essentially play with the same people that you played with last season when Gabriel Jesus wasn't playing, which has won you the title before. You put Phil Foden as a false nine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just the depth that you have there for Manchester City. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Arsenal don't have that. And I feel like what you see with Eddie, what you saw with Eddie Nketiah is just 
the effect of having a run where he's had to play a lot of football and he's the only real option in that position. Although I feel like Arteta probably can experiment a little bit more than he has done so far now that he has the addition of someone like Trossard. Mm. Moving Martinelli central and playing Trossard wide, for example, I don't think is a wildly bad idea in certain games, especially against certain no, opposition. That's, that's right. Although I still think, even though he didn't score, I think Nketiah did quite well last night. He was always in position. It's execution. Yeah. Yeah. He won the penalty, yep. which Oof. in real time, I was just like, there's no way that's given. Yeah. It's, there's a second angle from just behind the goal, which you see Edison come across the him. way that Edison's body moves yeah. towards it, which I feel kind of justifies it. I thought it was a penalty. I could understand why people wouldn't have thought it was a penalty. And if it hadn't been given, I don't think it would have felt like a wild injustice, put it that way. Right, right. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Because it is rare that people get given penalties for like when they get shots off. But actually, I think we've talked about this on here before, how it's actually quite nice to see referees giving fouls even when players do get shots off because anywhere else on the pitch is a foul. Yeah. I mean, actually talking about penalties as well, like Gabriel got away with an absolute... Oh, he really did. In the second half, yeah. man. Like, you know, actually I think he's very lucky the game wasn't decided that way. Like at least this way, yeah. the game being lost this way, you can look at it as a collective, a collective defeat. Whereas the foul that Gabriel committed on Holland and luckily Holland was offside just before was just such an unnecessary, but then it was almost foreshadowing the pressure. It was for, almost foreshadowing what would come because it showed you the pressure Arsenal were under. It showed you, mm. we, we know how hard Holland is to deal with, but it was almost like, you know, we've talked before about this, you know, when there's so much rain on the roof of like a bungalow and then like it just collapses at any point. And it was just like, it just felt like City applying that pressure and it told eventually. And the other th like I said, the frustrating thing watching this for Arsenal was they will look at all the games they played this season and they were like, ah, of all the games, of all the games to make these errors and to make them together in the same match, like we haven't made this collection of errors that often in, in this, this season. And they just chose that night to do it. And that's the frustration, I think, you know, and you're, you're right about depth. You're right about squad depth and you're right about resources. And there'll be a lot of talk about, oh yes, like a plucky underdog club bounces back from off-field controversy and, you know, forms a siege mentality. No, it's not that. It's just like a lot of money, a lot of resources and a coach who's maximising those resources. I still think that Pep can do a better job coaching-wise. I, th I still think he can bring more out of this collection of players. But you're seeing players in particular like Grealish, important goals now. Grealish was great. Grealish against uh, exactly. Manchester United in the derby, scoring a really important goal. Obviously, they didn't win that one, but he stepped up in that game and he stepped up again. Um, in this match and he you know Grealish is someone who there is that prize tag over him and I'm, I'm sure it weighs over him to an extent but he is he's delivering you know he's delivering in the last, the last few weeks I liked your uh, thing about Rodri your tweet about Rodri that you wrote which was um, he plays football at the most at the he plays football at the speed that most people play golf it's funny him, isn't it? You look at it's bizarre. Like he rarely seems rushed until he looks extremely rushed. Like for example, what was the was it the um, the Spurs goal? For example, yeah, the Spurs in, goal. Yeah, yeah. Like he just seems like yeah. a footballer that plays. Like if you if, if if you were like, which golfer plays the most rounds per month in the Premier League? It'd be like, oh yeah, Rodri's like right up there. Mm. He just seems like someone. He's got the shoulders right. He's got the shoulders of a golfer as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk. Title race because anything else on the game? Uh, no, I think all good. All oh, good. actually, um, um, one more thing on the game. I just I want to big up Jorginho because I thought Jorginho was absolutely amazing in this game. Mm. Made a couple of he made one or two passes in early on in the first half where he looked just a tiny bit nervous. But Arsenal in that first five to ten minutes looked like they were just one. If he step, pulled up that pass from Ketia, oh my god, the one, yeah, exactly. oh my god, the one that like almost connected the vision yeah. to play that. Oh my god. Arsenal, they've talked about having an option in that position mm. that can basically step up in games against this kind of calibre position. Mm. There are a few teams that Arsenal are going to play who are better than Man City. Yeah. Very few. And I thought Jorginho was one of Arsenal's best players, actually. Yeah, yeah. And that's fair. That's fair. So I think for him and for a lot of people who felt underwhelmed by that signing, they can be really encouraged by okay, that performance because I, right. I thought he was really really good yeah that's a great shout 
But in terms of the title race, Manchester City level on points. Arsenal still have their game in hand. I know that momentum is a big thing and Manchester City always feel like they have that. That I know it's, it's, it's turned into a little bit of a cliche now, but but they have the possibility of doing one of those like 15 straight wins. Mm. I still feel it's a little bit different this year. Yes. It wouldn't surprise me, for example, if, I don't know, Everton or even Southampton again will take points off Man City. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. They're more vulnerable than they have been in previous seasons, without question. And also the same for Arsenal. And also I think just the same for the rest of the top six, seven. Mm. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of football still to play. Arsenal got their game in hand. I know it's very easy for, for Arsenal fans to feel kind of like, oh, okay, this is it. That's, that's it. It's done. No, it's not, I don't not think how, it's anywhere not, near Not done. how it works. No, not at all. Not at all. And I think getting Gabriel Jesus back for that final stretch will be a massive boost. And Arsenal just need to hang in there till then. That's absolutely right. Yeah. But what about City? Do you feel like City look... They don't look ominous. They don't look ominous at all. This is, the, this is just not the same Man City as previous years. And I think a lot of City fans would say that. There is an element of transition. They had to galvanise them. I know. It is, it's funny. There was a lot of talk about... Um, the off-field stuff affecting City negatively, but we've actually seen over the years that that stuff has a, a unifying off-field controversy um, problems actually often has more often than not seems to have a unifying effect on the, the dressing room. Um, and there's a lot of players in that team with a point to prove. Like Grealish has mm. a huge, huge point to prove. And I think he's slowly proving it. I'm not sure the 100 million will ever look fully worth it because it's just such a wild amount of money and that's not Grealish's fault. But he's a very, very good player. Um, he's the future of his team's midfield and he's showing why Pep has so much faith in him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, but I just think for Arsenal, look, if there's any uh, consolation to be drawn, there'll be a lot of talk about, oh, why don't we strengthen here and there? But I don't actually think the needle shifting players were available for Arsenal in this window. I just don't think they were. I don't think I would have loved to see Joao Felix at Arsenal, but that's an aesthetic thing. I don't think, you know, you look at some of the finishing he showed against Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, and actually, that's not the type of finishing that's the, Arsenal, that's, that's the answer for Arsenal. So if Arsenal draw any consolation, it's that this is about as good a squad under the circumstances I think they could have assembled. Yeah, unless they were going to go and spend like 180 million in January, which they just were never going to do. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that they, they believe that they have identified targets who want to come to the club in the summer. Right. And I think that they're holding out for that, which is understandable. That's why I think the Jorginho thing made so much sense. Um, and will be, I think it'll make so much sense to it to kind of keep around for a while as well. Yeah. I mean, just putting my Arsenal hat on a little bit here. Someone has said in the middle of February, You'll be level on points with Manchester City with a game in hand at the top of the league. I'd been like, fuck it off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Fuck it off. Do you remember when I was on my, I was, I was like laid out with COVID and you were all like watching them pre-season training. Can I be honest? That wasn't as much fun as it looked. What you like to be. <laughs> Trying to make you feel uh, better. But anyway, <laughs> if that was, if that, if when in, in that moment then pre-season, if someone said in February, you're going to be level on points with a game in hand, I'd be like, get out of here. <laughs> oh man, Europe's second best competition <laughs> on, Wednesday, on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, the Champions League was back. Uh, can we just begin very briefly with PSG Bayern because this was not a game that needs to be analysed in a huge amount of detail. It's not. Quite dry. It was. Um, I mean, it didn't really help that PSG had an injured Mbappe on the bench and an injured Neymar and an injured Messi playing up front. And basically you could just tell that Galtier was just like, right lads, <laughs> we're essentially going to defend with like nine people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're just going to have to deal with it. And they still kept it pretty tight. They did. To be fair. That was not a very fast 4-4-2, it has to be said. That was a sluggish, hard work. Can I be really, I'm going to say something quite mean. You know when you go and buy chocolates and oh, um, no. you, know, you go to the local corner shop and like you go to buy chocolates and they've been left in the sun and you get, you know, you open the chocolate up and like, it's got that sort of, it's not gone off because it's still like two months, but it's got that kind of streaky grey element of like, yeah. yeah, it's like that. It felt like when those, and you're like, oh no, because <laughs> you can't take it back because it's not off, but it's like got that strange chalky consistency. This felt like that. It felt like eating one of those chocolates this match. Yeah, it's like getting home from the supermarket and notice that 
the milk's leaked. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not the end of the world, but it's just made the whole experience just a little bit like... Ugh. Exactly, exactly. No, and look, PSG Bayern, there's a thing where these two... <laughs> These teams are so familiar with each other. They're so familiar with each other that actually yeah. they know each other's games so well that you're not going to get fireworks, I think, overwhelmingly. Mm. Kingsley Coman scoring the winner. He really enjoys. That. This is a man that's not muted his celebrations against. <laughs> Wasn't the best piece of goalkeeping by Donnarumma. Kind of went through him a little. Yeah, he looked a bit. He, looks, he looked like he, uh, he knew as well. He yeah, knew. Not the best, not the best. So yeah. Um, I want to shout out Benjamin Pava because he realised what was going on he was like listen the ratings are going to suffer unless I do something and much like Jordan Pickford like I said on uh, Wrighty's House I said I believe that Jordan Pickford was such a footballing purist that he knew what he needed to do for that goal (laughs) I feel like Benjamin Pava is such a footballing purist that he knew what he needed to do just to make the second leg interesting (laughs) trying to feel something (laughs) yeah don't worry guys UEFA don't worry, I got you. I've got your trailer set for the second leg. Let me go inside down Leo Messi. Let me give you some narrative. Yeah. Oh, just walking around like a WWE, like, say what? Like, I got like, you for- what's that? You want some, mar- you want some narrative? You forgot you the name. Narrative. <laughs> Remember the name. You forgot the name. <laughs> do you know when people score and they turn around and point to their name on the back? I want someone to get sent off and do that. Oh, you're speaking my language. As you walk it. You are speaking what, my if language. I just, if I just added another element into Moose's dream sending off. Oh my gosh, yes. Moose is going to get sent off and run around pointing to the, oh, Kwanga. Yeah. Or, so- or he's going to take his shirt off like Messi and just hold it up. Exactly. <laughs> are you not entertained? <laughs> Sir, you have been sent off. <laughs> Sir, you are suspended for three games. <laughs> I don't care. Remember the name. Remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never take me alive. It's a bundled. <laughs> it's a bundle it's only, dressing room. It's the only time that someone has received a straight red card and been bundled straight into a police van. <laughs> Crimes against football. <laughs> Starts broadcasting a podcast the way out of the stadium. <laughs> Starts talking about, I don't know, the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've made this this game sound a lot more interesting than it was. So, um, you've done a work there. We have. You're welcome, UEFA. You should thank us for that. But you don't deserve it because we're going to slag you off in a little bit. So Yeah, that's true, unfortunately. Mbappe said afterwards that he, he probably shouldn't have played. He probably shouldn't have come on. He just wanted to help. And I think that's mm. it's a little bit of a sign of how, how much PSG have been struggling since the World Cup. Um, they've not been playing well at all. They've had a number of injuries. It all just depends on the fitness of that front three for the second leg. You can see why they were so, t- so keen to get um, Ziyech in, can't you? Especially, yeah, since, especially given the game. You know, He played a nice game against Dortmund, actually. Um, he did. He's actually been playing really well since yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Since he got stranded in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, not, bad, uh, not a bad place to be stranded, to be honest. But still. Well, should we go there? Should we go to the Westfalen? Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, listen, Dortmund. Um, they showed us something. They really showed us something. Just some resilience. Like Chelsea played some really good football. They didn't finish well. Um, Joao Felix with three opportunities. You could say two that were mm. glaring and. Chelsea should have taken this. I mean, it's one of those games where both teams can go away being like, not the worst result for us. Not the worst result. So I think that Chelsea, they'll be happy the margin was that low considering the chances they passed up. Dortmund got one of the great Champions League counter-attacking goals of the modern era. That is, a, there'll be a lot of talk about Enzo Fernandez got cooked. Uh, you just saw, you were witnessing advanced technology from Adiomi. You saw why they pursued this man. That is like, just a quick moment for that. There are about, what, maybe three other players in the world that score that goal. I love it when you say this. Can I push back on that? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I think there are probably a few more. No, I don't think so. Name them. But Name them, name them, name them. You can't. Who were your three? Uh, Leroy Sané. Uh-huh. Angel Di Maria. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, Adiomi got one, got cooked. Could, and then maybe I don't know I can't. score that goal that goal that goal uh, Kylian Mbappe Gabriel Martinelli a first touch actually, a first actually touch Felix. a first touch with your wrong foot and finish with the left foot yeah, yeah. actually Jao Felix uh, Rafael Liao when he's not going through contract negotiations no, the, the left footedness the left foot you're not, you're not paying attention to the left footedness well I'm just saying that like wrong foot left wrong foot right foot but it's a I'm very saying. specific it's a very specific comment it's like a left footed finish like yeah 
You're sounding like a politician right now. I don't like it. That, that's the, but that's the point. When I saw that, it's like, how many lefties score that goal, right? Like how many? Oh, how many leftists? Leftists. Because <laughs> I was just thinking, how many left wingers? Uh, Midrick, I suppose Midrick could score that. Could do. He had a good game the other night, actually. I thought Midrick was good. The thing of the genius of the goal, the Adeyemi goal, and I want to just dwell on it because Enzo's going to get a lot more stick for it, is that he... There's nothing to give Enzo stick but about. He made the choice. It's the choices. Yeah, but, you know, Twitter did what it did. Like, the choices... Yeah, but stick anyone in that position and nine out of ten times they get cooked. But it's like, you say that, but the choices that Adeyemi made were really impressive. Like, he could have come inside, right, all the time. Yeah. Because, you know, you talk about counterattacks and it's very difficult to actually put a thing like that off, especially that Adeyemi's not been the best this season. He's not been on his best form. And he needed a breakout moment. Like if there was any player in the Dortmund team who needed, and like, we don't include Alec because Alec's been injured, you know, with, you know, he's been out for good reason. is the one player in that forward line that needed to show why he was given that stage. And he did it. He absolutely smoked yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I think Dortmund... Terzic said a really funny thing. He compared him to Roadrunner at the end, the post-match interview. And I think there's a, Dortmund have been, I know there's a lot of, the moment you praise Dortmund, they, they, they do something, they implode. But they've been, can I say, quietly impressive the last couple of weeks? They've been all right. Can I, can I, just, can I say quietly? They've been all right. Yeah. Can I, can I give them a little bit of praise? But yeah, man, I think actually, I actually think it's quite a disappointing result for Chelsea. And I feel like it's more the failure to score mm. again. Yeah. because. I just think at the moment, Chelsea being behind in a tie is, is bad just because they're not scoring goals. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me if Dortmund hit them again on the counter-attack at Stamford Bridge. So it's not, it's, it's, they're in a really tricky position, man, because if they go out of the Champions League now, it's just more pressure. And, and especially with Brandt, Brandt playing that well as well. Brandt yeah, Union Brandt was great. Yeah. It was nice to see him and Kai Harvitz having a little chat. Yeah. Old pals. Well, Kai... Like best mates at Leverkusen. Kai's going to have some... It's a weird one. It's a weird because Felix now looking at the loan, not much longer to impress, mm. and games like this are where you you try and you know seal your move. Yeah, uh, and Harvard's as well. There's going to be more and more questions. I think if that makes sense, like especially if Chelsea just, end up going out. Um, I just still don't love him as a number nine. I don't either, unfortunately. I was hoping that he would evolve into that. I just hope it was like you know, like it's a similar thing with Murata. Like you know, when you just hope that, I mean, Murata is a nine, but you know, when you hope the player takes the leap because mm. you just really like them, and you're like, please develop that final instinct, like Calvert Lewin style. Mm. But it, it doesn't feel like that's that's going to happen for Harvards in that position yeah. anytime soon. I agree. Anyway, yeah. Another one nil was Milan against Spurs. Brian Diaz's goal in the seventh minute was enough to to seal it for Milan. A bit of a strange goal. It was kind of like um, it reminded me a little bit of like a a more stationary version of Julian Alvarez's goal in the World Cup. You know, the one where he just kind of went downhill. Yes, yes. It just it just felt like the all of a sudden the pitch was tilted and the ball was just going to go in no matter what bar or... The man went, they really, you know, he was really aggressive following that ball mm. in, Bram Diaz. And I think that speaks to just the intensity that Milan have had the last couple of games. Mm. Um, they beat Torino to snap the losing streak. This was a huge win for them. I know that Spurs haven't been in the best of form, uh, to be polite about it, but still a huge win for Milan in a game like this. They're still struggling to get the best out of De Ketela, um, Milan. Pioli struggling with that signing, I think. And they should have put this away. This should have been 2-0, at least. Mm. And so actually Spurs won't be that unhappy given, given their recent form and given the chances they gave Milan, a 1-0 loss away from home is not the worst result. Because uh, Spurs do have slightly more goals in them than Chelsea do at the moment. Yeah, I could still see them getting through against Milan at home. Still can, yep, yep. Yeah. And the other game was uh, Benfica's 2-0 win over Club Brugge. Benfica was cooking. Uh, Jao Mario's penalty was so good. <laughs> because <laughs> Mignolet went the right way and essentially stood underneath it with his arms up. And it just, I think it clipped his fingers and hit the bar and went in. It was really aesthetically pleasing. It's glorious. And Benfica yeah. just made chances throughout. They, they missed a couple of good ones. Mm. Um, they had, um, uh, yeah pretty clear header through the centre they should put over, they should have put in. A couple of chances skewed wide, but just they're just a chance machine. They just keep generating opportunities. It's just a chance machine. Chance machine. <laughs> the moment I said that, I knew I was in trouble. 
<laughs> yeah, they were just they were very good value for the two nil. Yeah, I think they'll they'll go through. It was nice to see. It wasn't Scott Parker making his Champions League debut as a manager. Lovely. Yeah. We didn't even really mention that on Stadio that he'd gone to Club Brugge. No, no, it's a really good look for him. It's an interesting appointment. It's a really good look for sure. as well. Yeah, really good club. Well run. Know what they're doing. Um, just quickly before we move on to the UEFA report, Barcelona are in more trouble. Mm-hmm. Saw Colin Miller tweet this translation from the article. A report has accused Barcelona of paying a company owned by Jose Maria Enriquez Negreira, who um, at the time was a La Liga referee and the vice president of Spain's technical committee of referees. Uh, apparently, it alleges that Barcelona paid his company 1.4 million euros from 2016 to 2018. One of our favourite podcasts, Spanish football podcast. Yeah. Posted today's front pages in Spain to Marca or <laughs> Marca and AS. <laughs> Scandal. Refereeing Barca Gate. And then Mundo Deportivo and Sport were just like, let it be a magic night. Jewel of champions. Basically just, just swerving it, completely just swerving talking about, oh. talking about Manchester, the Manchester United game. Like it never, like it never happened. Exactly. I mean, if there was ever, ever a more clear cut picture of which way those two newspapers sway. Yeah. It's this one. Yeah. Uh, this just reminded me of something because I just thought of Barcelona Cruyff. It just reminded me of something I meant to shout out in the early part of the show. We got a tweet off Sam Collins last night just saying, Johan Cruyff rolling over in his grave seeing Pep time waste in the 28th minute. <laughs> <laughs> that was wild. Edison getting both for time wasting in the first half. Incredible. Incredible scenes. <laughs> All right, man. Should we talk about this report that came out? Champions League final review. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. UEFA uh, commissioned a review into the Champions League final last season and found out that they themselves were to blame. The panel has concluded that UEFA as event owner bears primary responsibility for failures, which almost led to disaster. We kind of said so much, uh, I to be honest, I think we said a lot of what has been stated in this, pan- in, in this report in our podcast after the final last season, Yeah, where we were talking about the method of policing, the similarities to Hillsborough, and... They were literally quoted in the report. The, the par- I'll quote, the parallels between Hillsborough 1989 and Paris 2022 are palpable, said the review. The similarities include the fact both events were preventable and both were caused by the failures of those responsible for public safety. Both events were foreseeable. In the judgment of the panel, the different outcomes were a matter of chance. In one, nearly 100 people died. The other, none, but through no merit of those in charge. They said in the report, it was remarkable that no one lost their life. I mean, that yeah. line is damning. Remarkable. I'm not sure it could have happened to just any club. And I say why this, because the French police prepared for this, they said, with a public order mentality. There was an element where there was a particular targeting of a certain type of club. They were like, this type of club causes this type of trouble, so we'll be heavy handed. And the heavy handed policing was the thing that contributed directly to the stress upon points of access. Does that, does that make sense? Such a major part of, of, of the reasoning for, that they put forward mm. was because they expected people to just come to Paris because of how easy it is to get to Paris mm. without tickets. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but even so, I think we mentioned it at the time. If we didn't, then we should have done, but that happens at every Champions League final or every European final. People travel without tickets to go and experience the games in fan parks. Yes. Just to be there. And maybe get a ticket if they can. You know, the enduring, anyway. the enduring image from this, the fact that um, Seferin, the head of UEFA, made the decision to, post, to, to delay the start, delay the kickoff from a stairwell in the VIP area of the stadium. There was just something about that as a metaphor in terms of a detachment from reality, from the mm. scenes, what's actually happening on the ground. And then for UEFA to generate these allegations, these false allegations of like, you know, mass ticketlessness and all the rest of it and fan unrest and all the rest of it. And for them saying, actually remove the role of some locals in generating problems at the start, just to place the emphasis on what Liverpool fans were doing wrong. That stuff is really grim because the narrative that, and this is credit to Liverpool fans, the narrative that UEFA was pushing out in the immediate aftermath, knowing what a lot of people would jump to anyway and be like, oh, just Liverpool fans like that, that stuff has a chance of sticking. And luckily, I mean, even looking at the online conversation, 
I think to Liverpool's credit, they pushed back, their supporters pushed back on that pretty, pretty quickly, actually. Like they had mm. people on the ground pretty fast to refute that. Like um, great piece by Daniel Austin in The Guardian about uh, footballers, uh, no, sorry, uh, football fans uploading uh, social media videos to show people what was happening, photos. So there was a, there was a continuous stream of real time debunking, but they shouldn't have had to be debunking. Like this should have been an orderly entry to the final. This, and the problem is that not only did this affect, you know, this is not, this created like further trauma, further stress for Liverpool fans, but also in terms of the destination of this, this trophy, because it was clear to everyone that the impact of this, like, had, it had a huge impact on Liverpool fans. Players are a bit disorientated by it as well in a tight final. Mm. And who knows how different the result plays out on the field if the game just goes ahead normally. Who knows? Because it was a tight final and it could have gone either way. Um, so yeah, Liverpool kind of lost twice in a way. Yeah, I feel that, man. Yeah, I yeah. hear that. Yeah. I think the report is pretty damning. I would, I would encourage people if they haven't already to go and find articles. that There's a really good piece in The Athletic actually by Philip Buckingham that pulls out quite a lot of good quotes from, from the piece. The, 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 uh, from the report, sorry, the report itself is about 220 pages. It's pretty extensive. Mm. The one thing that I would say is I'm a bit confused as to why we haven't heard anything from Seferin yet. Mm. At the time of recording, we haven't. And UEFA have to be extremely careful at the moment because there's mounting pressure against football federations and governing bodies Yeah, because of um, the way that they handled stuff. FIFA, for example, not popular. UEFA, not popular. Yeah, Stuff like this will only galvanise stuff like the Super League movement. Yeah, well, this is... Uh, I, I was worried you were going to say that, but you're right. What they do next... Yeah. Because in the in the report they outlined a load of stuff that they need to they, they need to change. Like, let's get real. First of all, Stade de France wasn't a place that they should have held the final at such short notice, based on what they already knew. Yes, the delegation of of um, security and security planning was not something they should have done. Mm. The immediate aftermath of letting so many high profile people in executive and in political roles within France specifically. I know that UEFA can't exactly do much to stop French politicians saying whatever they wanted to say, but all the blame was pointed at Liverpool fans. Mm. And that's so fucking damaging. And the thing that really pisses me off about UEFA and and other other organisations is that it is so easy just to go for fans. Yes. It's so easy. Yes. Because because the actions of a few can take the reputation of the whole. Mm, Absolutely. We're in an age where some of the most quote unquote intelligent football minds at executive level seem to continually make decisions that are completely and utterly baffling to me. Yeah. Like, I do not understand, like, or I don't understand how they don't understand how the fans are an integral part to the popularity of their organisations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we talked about this earlier on in the week. We think the Super League is a bad idea. We think that that whole thing is a bit ridiculous, and I don't think that's the solution to what's going on in football. But at the same time, if anyone turns around and says, well, can anything be worse than UEFA? Even though we don't agree, you can understand why people come at it from that angle. This is, you know this, what is what, this, is, like this. this is what scares me so much about it. Like, do you know, we used to joke, I don't know, I used to talk to friends about this, like the EU, it needs to understand like the threats. It needs to fix up and sort itself out. Otherwise, bad faith actors will come at it. And I feel like the UEFA is the same. I don't think UEFA understands the depth of its crisis because if it did, the smart people in UEFA, the ones that don't spend all their time in like business class lounges and spend a bit of time actually talking to actual stadium staff and actual supporters with more than a cursory glance, those people in UEFA, and they exist, would be like, we've got to get this dude out of here. David Conn yeah. wrote a piece and was like, Sephra needs to go. And I think that's right. There's not only that, I, I, it's, I the manage- it is, yeah. it's the management, like the people in UEFA should be like, there is a, there is, we are in the amber warning sign. We are in the red light warning like. This is, this is a code red situation for UEFA because we've screwed it. We had a Champions League format that people really liked and we're changing it up, even though people liked it, just when it was like really, really cooking. The Super League is breathing down our necks. There's rampant inequality and we're making accusations, allegations towards supporters who are just trying to get to a game. And it's, it's thanks to those supporters themselves that people didn't die. Yeah, Like when the, you have- the, the, That's the yeah. thing, because the, the, the treatment that they were getting given at that yeah. final the fact that most supporters managed to stay so calm. Ryan, despite supporters were better was, safety officials than the people yep. meant to be protecting them. And that, 
They just went there to watch football. Yep. This is, this is a major, major, major crisis for UEFA. And if they don't fix up, and I say this as, I say this as someone that wants them to succeed, man, they better effing sort it out. Because this is, they're looking down the barrel at this point. I mean, I, I, I feel that they, I'm not entirely convinced that UEFA know exactly what they're doing. No, me neither. And I feel that they, they, they buckle to the demands of clubs in a heartbeat, as we've seen with the Champions League reforms, based on the threat of the Super League. Yeah. And I feel like I've said this before, but the really confusing thing for me is that you hear so much about how football doesn't engage with the younger audience and younger people, you know, young, the younger audience just wants to play. They just want to play computer games and they don't care about football and football must do more to attract the younger audience. You know, one, an amazing way to attract a younger audience and engage with the younger audience is just behave on a level that kind of fits with the similar... Behave with the, the values that morals. for younger people are not negotiable. Exactly. Thank you, because what people really fucking get it twisted about with, the, with like Gen Z and the, that next generation coming up underneath them is that for them, like as a, as a generation, mm. they are way more switched on, Yes, I think we said this a number of times before, just based on work that we've done in the past outside of the podcast stuff, is that like, like so much change maker data, for example, yeah. suggests that younger people, Gen Z especially, but Gen Z out of all the generations that have come so far, they are the ones that are most likely to drop a brand uh, and drop anything like that. Yes if they don't align with their moral values. Yeah. Way more so than any, like our generation, the one before us. Much more so. Yeah, yeah. And this is something that you, that fucking blows my mind about people like FIFA and UEFA. Um, FIFA catching unnecessary strays, but do they ever catch fully unnecessary strays? No, no, no. They, not they, on my no, watch. No, nah, they earned this one. They earned the, not they, on they, our they need, watch. They need, that, they need to hold that L. FIFA, yeah, yeah, FIFA, yeah they need to hold that. Um, you have all of that money. You have some of the smartest minds, apparently. To protect the future of the game, people need to get outside of their own generation and actually engage younger voices. Can I be honest? It's an art form. It's actually, if you're running your way for FIFA, it's actually an art form to avoid the important conversations as much as certain executives within those organizations both do. And whenever I say this, whenever I criticize you from FIFA, I do so fully in the knowledge that there are people in those organizations who would make the changes needed if they were yeah. empowered to do so. Yeah. Like that's the all I can say. Like I just really hope that I really hope the people in those organisations get the platforms to make the changes that that are sorely needed. And we, we, I know we keep saying this, but we have to keep saying it. It is very. It sounds like a really easily easy to roll out solution or easy line to roll out, but it's actually. I think we said this before. Like people get so consumed by fixing something fully Mm. that they cannot identify the process to start fixing it at all. Yeah, that's right. And actually, you can't fix something from a completely broken position to it being completely fixed. You have to start somewhere. Just give the right people in your organizations the damn jobs. You know yeah. who that, you know, everyone knows who they are. Everyone knows who they are. Give them the jobs. And, and take some fucking responsibility for what happened at the Champions League final. Yeah. Make a statement, yeah. make a stand. Yeah. Actually make changes. Because if you're not careful, you saw how quickly the fans got the Super League shut down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If people switch off from football, either going to stadiums or paying for TV packages, the whole value of the industry plummets. Yeah. Can't have a, you can't have an industry without any consumers. Do you know what I mean? Can't have an industry without any fucking customers. No one is buying what you're offering. The whole thing implodes. And if they're not careful, I think we said this before, like it's hard to find a sport that continually kicks the shit out of its fan bases yeah. as much as football does. Gaslight FC. There's gaslighting everywhere. It really is. Wild. This needs to be a wake-up call. Yeah. Because literally, like we said this at the time, like people could have died. Yeah. It is a miracle that no one did. Yeah. And if this isn't enough of a wake-up call, with this, with your process over the last few years, with your changes to a competition that was fine, really, yeah. or if anything, you needed to change it to the other way, the threat of the Super League, your popularity plummeting, there needs to be a major change. Yeah. Massively, because otherwise we're fucked. Yeah, we are. Happy Thursday, everyone. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Do you know what, though? It's not all bad news. Na, 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 na. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank God for the Europa League. Absolutely. Uh, I hate football. You wait, man. After this, after this Tuesday episode of Righty's Clubhouse, I'm going to complete my pivot to golf. Pivot to golf. Shall we roll? Let's do it. Hope everyone's staying safe and well. Uh, sorry if that ended a bit gloomy, but um, I'm just glad that the right conclusion was made from yeah, that. That's yeah, the that's the yeah. positive. Don't forget to check Ryan's house on Friday. Also check out Impress this week and uh, Stanley will be back on Monday. Don't forget to check the ringer.com. Stanley will actually play us on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on Mother Tongue, Messages Love, anything you want to add, Musa Okwonga? Listen, the message is always about love. In the end. In the end. <laughs> it was all about love. Stop a little marketing there. I'm surprised you even remember the English title with all your German... Yes, What's it's the German a, title? Es ging immer nur um Liebe. Oh. <laughs> Sehr nett. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. Much love. And we'll be back with you on Monday. See you then. <laughs>